When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome. This is Football Social Daily. Premier League news and views every single day of the season. The UK has been plunged back into lockdown overnight. But the big football news is that top-level sport will continue, rightly or wrongly. That means also we're going to continue with the daily podcasts, rightly or wrongly. (laughs) Meaning you have something to keep you occupied over the next six weeks. Click subscribe now. Make sure you get every episode as soon as it's ready. You can find us in all your major podcasting platforms. I'm Jim and joining me on the podcast today... Both from within their germ-free, vacuum-sealed bubbles, we've got Niall McCorn back off what I make about a 45-week break from the podcast. Welcome back, Niall. Uh, gardening leave. I had a little pre-season, <laughs> Jim. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me back. Happy New Year. Gardening leave makes it sound like you did something dodgy and we're like, <laughs> just put on leave. Well, welcome back all the same. And Stefan Armstrong on the podcast alongside Niall as well. Morning, Stefan. Now and Jim. Um... You don't know that I'm not in a germ-free place. You never know where I could be, pal. I'm assuming that as a responsible <laughs> member of the Football Social Daily podcast, you are in a hermetically sealed yeah. bubble of some kind. Yeah, yeah, wrapped up in the Football Social bubble, raring to go. We keep everyone nice and safe on the podcast. It is January, of course, so the transfer window is open. And to date, I don't think we've had any deals go through yet, which is pretty unusual. It could be a quiet transfer window, but the rumour mill is anything but quiet. There is a cacophony of whispers at the moment, and we'll be listening to the loudest of those at the end of today's podcast, as we will right the way through January. There's news in terms of potential arrivals at Arsenal, at Manchester City, at Wolverhampton Wanderers, and at West Ham on the way. It's also that time of year that people start becoming slightly interested in the Carabao Cup, because it's the semi-final stage. And tonight, Tottenham plot their route to the final, against potentially one of the Manchester teams but first they've got to beat Championship Brentford which would appear on the face of it a fairly winnable game but the Bees have already seen off four other Premier League teams in their cup run so far maybe 
They can add a fifth scalp to that trophy cabinet. We'll be previewing the Caribou Cup semi-final in a little bit. But first, sound the Premier League title race klaxon because Liverpool have dropped points. They lost to Southampton at St Mary's Stadium last night. It's blown the title race wide open if it wasn't wide open already. Four points now separate seventh place Everton and top spot Liverpool, which is insane. I don't think I've ever seen a title race as close at this stage of the season. But for many Liverpool fans, it will have been disappointing. Do you think Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool team will consider that three points dropped last night, Niall? Or are we not giving Southampton enough credit for being a bit of a different outfit nowadays? Well, you know me, I'm always one to give Southampton the utmost credit when they deserve it. So, <laughs> uh, I think you have to say it's three points dropped for Liverpool. Um, and that's not a criticism of them. It's just purely because they are the best team in the league and they have been over the last 18 months or two years. So for them to lose to any side, you know, as good as, for instance, the likes of Manchester City have been to match them up and Manchester United in derby matches, etc., Liverpool are the best team in the in the division. So to lose to another side, as good as Southampton have been this season, I think you have to consider it points dropped. They only lost one game last season, and that was to Watford uh, in the Premier League. So, you know, it just goes to show the sort of mentality and the winning machine that Jurgen Klopp's built over there at Anfield. And for them to lose a game... Um, you know, it, it is, does feel like the world is coming to an end. Do you know what I mean? It, it does feel quite catastrophic. In the context of the Premier League this season, um, I think it also amounts to the fact that you have to point your finger and say it's three points dropped because, as you've already alluded to, the, the season is so close. The table is so close. I mean, Everton just four points behind. I mean, Chelsea, after their defeats, uh, and they think they've not won a game in six or one in six, they've won Chelsea over the Christmas period. Mm. I think they've dropped down to eighth now and pressure's starting to build on Lampard. And, you know, yourself, Jim, you tip Chelsea as possible title contenders. And, you know, even though they're down to eighth, it doesn't feel like they're completely out of it either. So, you know, with the context of the season and teams beating everyone all over the place and sides like Aston Villa and Southampton and Everton uh, showing how good they can be, I think you do have to say that it's points dropped. I mean, if you want to forensically analyse the game, which I don't think we will do, but, you know, Liverpool had their chances to win the game. They didn't take them. They didn't break Southampton down. I thought the two Southampton centre-backs actually were very good to give them their credit. Danny Ings' goal was an excellent finish. What Alisson is doing on the penalty spot from a, you know, deep free kick or whatever, I have no idea. Mm. You know, you can say what you want about him being a world-class keeper, but what's he doing there? Jordan Henderson gets pushed out of the way and actually springs the offside trap or lets the offside trap fall down, which means that Danny Ings is onside when the Southampton players are running towards the free kick into the box. So, you know, if, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back and watch the highlights on YouTube or whatever and you'll see, I'm not sure which Southampton player it is, but basically they kind of shove Jordan Henderson uh, out of the line, which means that, you know, he plays Danny Ings on and then he executes a really good finish. So, you know, all things considered, three points dropped to me for Liverpool. Uh, I think that as good as Southampton have been this season, you'd still expect Liverpool to beat them. So, yeah, three points down the drain, in my opinion. It's interesting, Stefan, the language that Noah uses there to describe the match, because it's all very much Liverpool did this, Liverpool failed to break Southampton down. But surely we have to give Ralph Hasenhutl a little bit of credit for the way he approached that match. Early goal, protected the lead, and they did limit Liverpool's opportunities. So, it was a bit of a masterclass, I guess, in how to beat the Reds. 
All credit that was due to Ralph Hasenhuttle was lost when he started bawling his eyes out on the touchline. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, he said it was the wind, to be fair. I mean, it's like oh, it's like my yeah. excuse when I go to see my lad play in a Christmas concert or something like that. It's the dust in the nah. room. It's never actually proper tears. <laughs> it's, it's, that's pathetic, isn't it? You know what I mean? This is like Premier League manager. Like, nah, I'm not having that. Um, what was your question again, sorry, Jim? Just saying, we'd have we to give Southampton credit. I mean, Ralph Hassan had yeah. set up the team well. They played well. It's not all about the mistakes Liverpool made. He called it a masterclass, though. That's a bit far, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's not a masterclass at all. Let, let's use let's use a Sam Allardyce analogy, as he's already been here. That, that was a smash and grab job, uh, and it was done very well. Did Danny Ings mean to score that goal? He made out in the interview afterwards that he did, but I'm ninety percent sure. He didn't. He was just getting it in a decent area. Uh, and they protected their lead well. And look, the game was was about missed chances. Uh, Southampton had two clear-cut chances. Teller and... and um, Oh, I can't remember who it was at the end there uh, when it was um, nearly on on a... Uh, it was cleared off the line by Jordan, uh, Jordan Henderson. Um, whoever that was, anyway. Uh, and then uh, Salah and Mane both, both missed chances. So it was a case of Southampton took their chance early on defended mm. it well were they disciplined uh, and Liverpool didn't take their chances and then I kind of just as pathetic as Hasenhuttle was for crying I thought Klopp was a, a bit a bit of a whinge after the game as well last night talking mm. about the penalties and oh we should have every other team would have got two penalties one of one of the penalty shouts wasn't even on the highlights the extended version so I mean nah it it, it was it was one of them games. Um, it was interesting language that from Jurgen Klopp, wasn't it? That any other team would have had two penalties in that game. I mean, I think he's he's pointing at Manchester United here, isn't he? And the amount of spot kicks they've had since the start of last season. I think they've had more penalty kicks than any other team in the Premier League, almost twice as many as Liverpool have had. But to suggest there's some kind of anti-Liverpool agenda when it comes to VAR and judging penalties just seems like a ridiculous statement to make if anything I'd say it was the other way it's it's straight out the textbook of Alex Ferguson and Jose Mourinho that it's just a them against mm. us kind of kind of uh, chat which comes when when you when your team's in the thick of it and that's because Liverpool probably would have been very disappointed to have not picked up at least a point last night um, do you think that's it do you think it's a bit of deflection a bit of maybe moving the focus away from the performance as yeah, Fergie and Jose would have done. Yeah, hundred percent, definitely. Uh, as Niall said, there now Niall was kind of going through the league table earlier. If Everton win their game in hand, they're only one point behind Liverpool after mm. Christmas. That never happens. So that kind of says everything, I think. Are we surprised that Liverpool haven't dropped more points now? Because when you look, I mean, you highlighted Jordan Henderson's mistakes in that game, and to be fair to Jordan Henderson, he was playing. As a centre-back, he isn't a centre-back. And Liverpool have done a lot of that this season. They've had defensive injuries. They've had to chop and change. So for them to be where they are, considering the injuries they've had, is actually pretty impressive. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. I mean, and that's credit to Jurgen Klopp. And we talk about him after the game and all his excuses and stuff. That's common fare with Klopp now. Because Liverpool don't lose many games, I think that it's accentuated almost when they do lose his post-match interviews and he does come across a bit whingy and a bit whiny but mm. so does Mourinho and so did Sir Alex because they're not used to losing they hate losing I mean I hate losing I mean I you know Christmas has just been and you lose a game of Monopoly it's the worst feeling in the world you know <laughs> so uh, I'm just you impressed know. you completed a game of Monopoly uh, well yeah the t I, mean, I think the board was flipped upside down by the time <laughs> we managed to complete it but 
Um, yeah, it's one of those where, you know, managers, when they lose games, if they're not used to it, they're going to kick off. Um, but in, in terms of what Liverpool's priority needs to be, they have to sign at least one centre-back. At least, I mean, two really would be ideal. They need to sign a couple of defenders because if they don't, they could get undone on more than one occasion. And now that kind of invincibility element of Liverpool, so to speak, has been eroded away slightly. A couple of defeats this season shows that it can be done and they've not looked the same formidable force that they've looked, you know, over the last season or the season before that. So, I mean, this season obviously is different. It is extreme circumstances. It's totally different to what we've ever seen you know, in the world before, let alone in the football landscape. So there is going to be an element of that to it. Uh, I, I, I do think that Liverpool will drop more points this season. I think that's inevitable just because of the way the season's gone. But I don't think that they're going to drop enough points to, to put them out of the title race, let's just say. Because I think early December time, just before the Christmas period, we were talking about how Jurgen Klopp was saying he couldn't have done what he's done so far without his younger players. I think players like Curtis Jones have come in and been brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with him. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, Williams, Phillips, a couple of other other young players who have been afforded opportunities. Um, a, a sort of inspired sign-in before the injury of Diogo Jota, who came in and kind of added extra potency to that already excellent attack that they've got. So, you know, we might see Jurgen Klopp revert into the old-style Liverpool, which was you know, beating teams 5-4 and 4-3 and 3-2 and things like that. Like, no matter how well, many you, you score you past that, us, we're going to score more goals. But that, that, isn't, that hasn't been happening. I was going to um, say, yeah, 258 minutes without a goal now for Liverpool, which yeah. is a ridiculous stat. And I was amazed to read that. So it isn't just a defensive problem. It seems like they've got a problem scoring goals. And when you consider the firepower they have in Mane and Salah and all the names we know, that, that seems insane. Should they be worried about that? I don't think so. I mean, they're class players. I mean, for that, for all of them to be off the boil at once is unusual. One of them's bound to kind of come up with the goods. It's not like Arsenal, where Arsenal didn't score for absolutely ages and they were kind of pinning their hopes on Aubameyang. Mm. Um, and, you know, Aubameyang's he's kind of a one-man machine at Arsenal and Arsenal fans won't like me for saying that they're a one-man team. But certainly last season, without Aubameyang's goals, um, you kind of saw at the beginning of this campaign how Arsenal struggled without them. Uh, you know, and who have they got to fall back on? Eddie Nketiah, who's young and unproven. Alex Lacazette, who isn't consistent enough. And aside from that, I'm struggling to think of any other forward players that Arsenal have got that are kind You're of... relying on Granite Xhaka then, well, aren't you? <laughs> exactly, then you've got a problem there, that's for sure. So, you know, that that's just an example for Arsenal. But if you look at Liverpool, I mean, Yota showed that it's shown that he can find the net at um, Wolverhampton Wanderers albeit not as regularly in his later stages at Wolves but arrived at Liverpool exploded onto the scene scored loads of goals and then you look at the likes of Mane and Salah they're players that are going to find the net before too long you know they're not the sorts of players where you're worried about them going on a goal drought I mean even if one of them does you've got another two there at least um, Firmino too who are able to find the back of the net when the time comes. So I don't think they should be worried about it too much. I mean, obviously it is a concern, but, you know, the Christmas period is now behind us and games will be back to the regular schedule of one a week, every weekend um, from now on or from this weekend onwards. So I think that's where Liverpool can really start to be comfortable as long as they do sign those two defenders because I think that's key. I said that the title race is wide open now, Stefan. If Manchester United and Manchester City win their games in hand, they both go above Liverpool. So you could argue they're ahead of them in the title race. Are Liverpool still favourites? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. 
Uh, everybody's going through a dip in form at some point. Liverpool are kind of having theirs a little bit. Tottenham have had theirs. Man City have had theirs. Leicester have had a bit of a dip. Man United will have a dip in a few weeks' time. That's when Oli will be sacked. Then Chelsea will come back. <laughs> then uh, it's Lampard for England manager. Then they'll have a dip. Then he'll get sacked. <laughs> then Liverpool will have a bit of a dip again. Then Klopp won't be the manager he once was. It's the way the season is, isn't it? No, it, it's kind of, it's kind of pointless. Like even pundits, even pundits who who know the game inside out, ex professionals, blah blah blah. They don't have a clue, and they change their opinions every two weeks. It's it's impossible to tell. It's just it's just a freak season, which kind of makes it good because yeah. I think I think there was a sense with as as now just said there, football's going back to to every weekend. There's a sense of football's been over diluted a little bit. You know, mm. let's go back to the three o'clock on Saturday type thing, and that's the good thing about this Premier League season is that at least with all this football coming your way. It's interesting because nobody knows what's going to happen. And just to build on that quickly, sorry for one more point there. I think it's really interesting that you make that point, Stefan, because I saw an article, and apologies to anyone listening who wants to find it because I can't remember where, where it was from. I think it might have been from The Athletic. But I saw an article about the lack of a Saturday match day in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now with broadcasting rights, you'll see the occasional game on a Friday or maybe one on a Monday night. It's been like that for a while. But most of the games through a season, the bulk of them are on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and with that not being the case now, with all the games being staggered, you can watch pretty much a full programme of Premier League fixtures back to back on a weekend. And people were loving it at the start, weren't they? It's amazing. You know, kick off at 12, the first game, last game kicks off at 8. I can watch five Premier League games in one day. I think that that might have actually detrimentally affected the season in terms of everyone knowing what every other team is is doing and how they're getting on. Um, I don't know what you boys think about that, but if you think about the final day of the season where every team kicks off at the same time, that's to avoid sort of any controversy in terms of sides having extra advantages, knowing what they need to do on the final day of the season. Everyone kicks off at the same time because it's a level playing field. Now that isn't quite the case. You know, teams can sit there with an eight o'clock kickoff and, you know, their closest rival in the table might have kicked off at half 12 and they then know what they need to do to go and win. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they are impacting another team who are also they looking can at play them. for a particular result it, if they want. I mean, it's I think, exactly. I think it's probably a little bit early in the season for playing for a draw if you think that's all you need to go above in the table. But I think it has impacted the season as a whole, certainly from a consumer's point of view. I don't think I enjoy the weekend of football as much as I did when there was a no. big glut of three o'clock kickoffs. No, if 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 you want to look more into this, there's a there's a book by Daniel Gray called Saturday Three PM: Fifty Eternal Delights of Modern Football. Read that and you'll know all about it. I feel sorry for the soccer Saturday boys. Like Jeff Stelling's just got one game at a time to get excited about. It's just it's not the same anymore. Stats going out the window. <laughs> just not the same. Um, we're going to make note of all Stefan's predictions there and see how many come true over the next few months as well. See how many he calls. And we're going to move on next to the Caribou Cup semi-final. It's Spurs versus Brentford. It's Jose Mourinho's first chance of a trophy as Tottenham manager. And we'll talk about the upcoming match next on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. As I said, it's that point in the season where people finally get interested in the Carabao Cup, the League Cup, if you're still in it, that is. And both Manchester teams are still in it. They play Wednesday night and it's Spurs versus Brentford. 
tonight. And Spurs will fancy this one, Niall, but we know Brentford are strong opposition. They almost came up from the Championship last season. They've still got a few decent players, even though they've lost a few notable ones in Ben Rama and Watkins, to name two. But they've still got enough there to cause a problem for Jose Mourinho, haven't they? Definitely. Brentford are a good side and I don't think they should be underestimated. And do you know what this kind of reminds me of? Last season's FA Cup game where Tottenham played Norwich and Norwich were bottom of the Premier League at this point in time and it went to a penalty shootout and Norwich won. It was the same game that Eric Dyer jumped up into the stands to defend his brother when that bloke was having a go at his brother. I don't know oh, if you yeah. remember the game. But everyone was saying Tottenham are going to beat Norwich, they're going to go through and it's going to be Jose's first chance at winning silverware. And it didn't happen. And the mood around uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at like the full-time whistle was not a very jovial one. I wasn't actually at the game, but I remember very vividly the kind of reaction of the supporters. Because Tottenham, they have a knack of getting to this stage of competitions and getting decent draws and not doing the job. I mean, I think about the FA Cup game against Norwich. Being Spursy. That's where, well, the, de- that's where the definition of Spursy comes from, isn't it? I've got on my... Obviously, we're all working from home at the moment because it's lockdown. And I've got here on my desk a framed ticket of the FA Cup 2010 final where my team, Portsmouth, lost to Chelsea 1-0. Um, in the semi-final of that year, 2010, we had Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur had Bale, they had Crouch, they had Cranshaw. Harry Redknapp was their manager. They basically had all of our old players and they were much better than us. We we had been um, already relegated from the Premier League by the time, or almost already relegated from the Premier League. We had been in administration and had points docked. Tottenham rocked up to that game thinking they were going to do us over. They thought they were going to smash us. And they couldn't beat us. And Pompey scored two goals in added time to beat Tottenham Hotspur 2-0. And honestly, Wembley emptied quicker than I've ever seen a stadium empty in my life. The Tottenham fans, our fire drill would be the best way to describe it, deserted that end of Wembley and Pompey we were destitute we had nothing and we managed to beat Tottenham because the mentality that Spurs had on that day they turned up I know this was 10 years ago or more but they turned up expecting to absolutely steamroll us now that is a dangerous mentality to get into for a side that hasn't won anything for 12 or 13 years you know and they've got close they got to the Champions League final but for some reason in these big games I still feel that Spurs have a little bit of a fragile mentality. How is now, that Tottenham... possible, though? Like you say, it's 10 years ago. It's com- a completely different set of players. How can that kind of Cause it know, keeps spirit happening. It's or ingrained mentality... In... How, how, it's ingrained how is that in the possible? Club, isn't it? It's ingrained in the club. The same way that Manchester United, who have not got the best crop of players that they've ever had in their history, are second in the Premier League. Mm. And, and within touching distance of a Liverpool side who have dominated for the last two years. And because they're Manchester United... And because of what's come before, people will rightly say Manchester United are in with a shout winning the title this year. Whereas at the start of the season, or even two or three weeks ago, people were saying, ah, there's no chance United would do anything this year. They'd be lucky to get top four. They're Jekyll and Hyde. They're inconsistent. They're second. Mm. You know, and they were level on points for Liverpool. Um, or they still are, I think. So, you know, you have to you have to think about these things and the kind of the nature of a club it's the same reason why you probably feel that West Ham might lose their next 10 games in a row Jim and end up in the relegation <laughs> zone because it's West Ham you know every club has that sort of mentality built around it which is kind of established over years of supporting a football club you know and that's why as a Pompey fan we quite enjoy being the underdog we quite enjoyed when the Premier League didn't want to help us and the FA wanted us to die and the fans rallied and saved the club when we were the underdogs <laughs> against Chelsea, uh, the underdogs against Tottenham Hotspur. We quite enjoyed those occasions. 
Tottenham here are not the underdog. Brentford are the underdog. But these are the sort of games where I worry for Tottenham. I don't think they're going to lose tonight. I think they'll do it. But I don't think it'll be as easy as people think it will be. And I just think that, you know, I've already had enough sick off Tottenham fans over this podcast already this season. But, you know, to be fair, I think that's a valid point that I make that, you know, this would be much more nerve wracking than people will lead you to believe. I guess Jose Mourinho kind of plays football like the underdog as well, in that he plays this negative, negative park the bus or whatever we call it nowadays, low block or whatever the phrase is nowadays that involves playing 11 men behind the ball, essentially. He has got this tendency of playing a defensive, negative type of football, and he has done it this season. It's difficult to do that against the championship team, though, isn't it, Stefan? It's like, in terms of the appearance, you shouldn't be defensive against a team in a lower league position than yourself. Um, I, don't, I don't think you will see that, to be honest with you. I think you'll you'll probably still see an essence of counter-attacking football, but you'll see possession from Tottenham. You'll probably you'll probably see Tottenham's uh, Europa League starting side with the addition of maybe a Kane or a Son. Uh, will he risk that? Because it's in general the when he's rotated his team. A lot of the players, I mean, he's publicly said that actually the players have let him down in that scenario. And this, now he's at the semi-final stage, it's important. I think I think he will risk it simply because I know Brentford aren't a bad side and they've not lost since October, I don't think. They've, they've, they've gone mm-hmm. on for a long, long run anyway, sitting nicely in the championship. But let, let, let's have a bit of a reality check here. I know, I know it's a cup semi-final, but it's a Carabao Cup semi-final. It should still be... A comfortable game for Tottenham if they do everything right, and and mm. I, I know what Niall says in terms of Tottenham maybe not having the uh, for balls to go for it, but I think in a game like this, I think they'll be all right. And Jose Mourinho likes playing the underdog, and he's already kind of played the underdog by saying that this is the biggest uh, game in his Tottenham career. And bullshit, it's not at all. <laughs> but but no. he's setting it up nicely for his players to get a bit of reaction mm-hmm. out of them. So I don't think you'll see the strongest Tottenham team play tonight. Um, but you'll see a decent strength one. And I think it's, it's one it's one leg, right? There's no two legs going on. Yeah, not not this year. I think you're right though, Steph. As well, I think that this is probably a tougher game for Tottenham than the final would be on the face of it. Um, just purely because when we get to the final, we know it's a one-off game, and Jose Mourinho, whether it's City or United or whoever they face, you know it, that that is made for Mourinho, isn't it? Those one-off games at Wembley, those final games where all you need is it to break your way. Uh, and you've got a trophy in the bag, and that's all Spurs want. That's what they need. Mm. They need some silverware. Shake that monkey off the back of Tottenham have never won anything. you know. But then again, it will be, oh, it was only the League Cup. Anyone can win the League <laughs> Cup. I mean, it will keep coming well, for Tottenham. It will keep coming for the Tottenham. Last one. But Brentford are a good side. Ivan Tony's a good striker, by the way. So just, just watch out for him tonight if you're watching the game. Um, striker for Brentford, who's been really, really good in the Football League over the last He's got a lot of seasons. goals, Tony, this season. Um, they've got a couple, mm. though. They've got the, uh, the Finnish guy, Foss. Uh, he's a good player as well. But um, the, the last yeah. Tottenham uh, trophy, was that not the Carling Cup way back when? 2008, that's what I mean, yeah. Two, I mean, 2008 Carling Cup. Pompey so, I mean, won the FA Cup a couple of months later, so we've been down to League Two and not even come back again since <laughs> the last time Tottenham won a trophy. So there we but go. It, 
it's in living history. I mean, like, I think too much can be made of this kind of like trophy hoodiness. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to go into this game if you're a Tottenham player. If you're if you're Harry Kane, you're not going yeah. into this thinking anything but that you're going to be in the final. Of course, you're not. I guess so. I mean, you mm. could even think back to when Jose managed Chelsea when he took over Chelsea in 2004, was it? And then in 2005, they won their. F- first two I think his first two yeah, trophies it, were yeah and the same with Man United but, yeah but Chelsea hadn't won the Premier League for 50 years when he went into Stamford Bridge Jose Mourinho uh, and you're looking at a similar scenario here with Tottenham they last won the league in 1961 so you know I'm not saying that Tottenham are going to win the league but if you're talking about the last kind of golden age of Tottenham Hotspur you know the, the era that everyone talks about is the double win inside of 1961 and you know mm. I'm not saying Jose's going to get Tottenham to win the double but you know, they're still in with a shout at the Premier League. They're still in the FA Cup because obviously third round action takes place um, at, at the weekend. And of course, they're in the semi-final tonight. So, I mean, there's plenty of reasons to be cheerful for Tottenham fans. But I think Steph's bang on. If you're a Spurs fan, you will be expecting to see your side play at Wembley at the end of February. No doubt about it. Bit of team news for both teams. For Tottenham, no Matt Doherty. He's still suspended. Joe Roden is cup-tied. lacelzo has got a hamstring problem. Gareth Bale still injured as well. Only made two starts for Spurs. Gareth Bale since his transfer in the summer. Brentford there without Shandon Baptiste and Christian Norgard. And that game kicks off tonight. The next semi-final, City versus United. Both Manchester teams is tomorrow night. A very quick one before we get on to the transfer news and staying with Manchester United for just one moment. We know Edison Cavani was banned for three games by the FA for his social media posts that used racially sensitive language. Also fined £100,000 for that. It's interesting that the his Uruguayan teammates have come out and written a letter to the FA asking them to reconsider the three-game ban and describing the actual the punishment as discriminatory towards Edison Cavani. I'm assuming because of the idea that the phrase he used is generally accepted in Uruguay but maybe seen in a different light in the UK. What was your reaction to seeing the letter that was sent by his teammates there? Um, interesting. It's, do you know what? It's nice to see a bit of solidarity between like uh, between national teammates and that. But I don't really want to comment on it because mm. the whole the whole thing's a farce. I, I hate football and social media as a mix. I think they're two things which just don't go well together. It brings out the worst in everybody. I hate I hate how disingenuous players are on social media. I hate how um, lively fans are with their opinions on social media. I just don't like the mix. So Steph's not on Twitter, by the way, in case anyone anyone's yeah, asking. Yeah, I know. I, do you know what? I'm so glad that I'm not on Twitter because I'd I'd get pelters left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's just it's an, it's an impossible thing to comment on. It's it's interesting that his teammates have supported him like that. Uh, obviously, I don't I don't agree with what was what is uh, is said. Although to be honest with you, I've not really looked at it. But what what I've heard people commenting on it. Um, but having said that, there's you know there's different different things in different cultures across the world, um, which which I don't know about and which other people don't know about. So I'm I'm not in a position to comment on it, uh, and I don't want to either because I just hate the whole thing. What do you do? You want to do? You want to make Simple a comment, Niall? Do you want to stay? Uh, do you want to keep keep your cards close to your chest? I mean, it's interesting that the Uruguayan team decided to. <laughs> 
basically stoke the uh, embers again when, in general, you let this stuff lie once the decision's been made. It's also interesting that uh, Luis Suarez is involved. He's probably not the man you want in your corner when you're fighting a racism <laughs> racism accusations. 100%. I think the Luis Suarez thing, I think that's that's not good. I don't think he should have said anything personally. Um, well, I do. I think he should still apologise to uh, Patrice Evra because I don't think he's officially apologised to Patrice Evra. Um, but there were similar rumblings around the Luis Suarez story, albeit I think that the Suarez one w- was far worse than what Cavani said, in my personal opinion. I just thought this was weird, particularly considering Cavani didn't seem that bothered. He seemed to take it on the chin, didn't he? And obviously it was a mistake. Mm. Um, But with what happened with Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy at Manchester City last season or the season before, I can't quite remember now, with the whole cartoon thing posted on Twitter, um, Bernardo got banned for that. And that was a joke between friends. So, I mean, if you're setting a precedent, you can't let Cavani off for one thing, considering you've already banned Bernardo for something similar. So I think the right decision was made in the end. Like I say, Cavani didn't seem... Obviously, he would have been disappointed that he'd been banned, but he didn't seem like devastated by it. I think he's taken his punishment on the chin and it's a mistake he'll learn from. And I understand the Uruguayans sort of clubbing together and saying, well, this isn't fair. This guy, you know, he he didn't understand it's a different culture. Well, you know, Kieran Trippier has been banned, hasn't he, for betting for a couple of weeks uh, in Spain and Atletico Madrid. You know, you haven't seen all the England players rally together and say, well, we've all got Bet365 accounts, <laughs> so uh, we shouldn't be banning Kieran Trippier. So it's one of those things where I find it really strange. I see where Stefan's coming from. It is quite unusual to see like national players club together and, uh, and show a bit of solidarity. But over this... I'm not convinced. We'll leave that there and we'll be talking transfer gossip next. The window is open, the gossip is firing and we'll cover it off next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back. Final section of today's podcast. And we're going to focus on the transfer gossip that's doing the rounds, as we will throughout the whole of January, because there's always loads of rumours. Whether there are any transfers happen this window or not, big transfers that is, because everyone's broke is another matter, but there's certainly loads of rumours. We're going to start off with Manchester City, who, according to ESPN, are closely monitoring Sergio Ramos's situation at Real Madrid. They want to sign the 34-year-old Spain captain in the summer rather than in the January transfer window. Seems like a weird potential signing, this one for me, Steph, because Sergio Ramos at 34, definitely in the twilight of his career, and Manchester City, in general, when you look at the players they've let go in the past, the David Silvers, the Yaya Torres, seem to move players at that stage onto pastures new and build for the future. So I'm not sure a Sergio Ramos transfer to City makes a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, I don't see that happening. I think Sergio Ramos is Real Madrid for him through anyway. I can see him finishing his career at the club. Uh, mm. The only thing it does remind me of a little bit is Thiago Silva going to Chelsea, but I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to improve the City squad uh, having Ramos come in at that age. Plus, Guardiola is a Barcelona guy. He's not, he's not going to bring in Ramos. Hasn't Ramos got some kind of Catalan connections, though, with Guardiola? If I made that up. No idea, mate, to be honest. I mean, I agree with everything that's already been said, though. I don't think Sergio Ramos will go to Manchester City. I mean, it's possible because obviously we know the attraction of Manchester City uh, as a football club. And, you know, 
Sergio Ramos, as Stefan says, has been at Real Madrid for eternity, so he might fancy trying his hand at something new. Who knows? But mm. it just doesn't feel like a Man City signing, if you know what I mean. It doesn't feel quite right. Manchester City very rarely kind of pick up those twilight players, for want of a better expression. They did it with Frank Lampard back in 2015, 2016 time. And uh, he had a good impact. He actually scored a goal, didn't he? He scored a winner against Chelsea Lampard when he was playing for Man City. Um, but I can't think of any other examples of where they've done it, where they've picked up someone you know, who's maybe waning towards the end of their career and uh, has got plenty of experience. I can't think of any other time that Manchester no. City might have done that. So, Not in recent years, certainly. No, it's more something that Chelsea do, don't they? You know, Thiago Silva in recent times, and they've done it a couple mm. of other times over the years as well. But just can't see it happening. No idea about the Catalan thing, though. That's quite interesting if that is true. Staying with Manchester City, another rumour coming from the Times is that Kevin De Bruyne is stalling on a new contract at Manchester City. Both he and the club are concerned at the pace of negotiations. He wants a new five-year deal, but they're still haggling over terms. I mean, it's less a transfer rumour, this, but a really interesting one for the future of Manchester City because I suppose Kevin De Bruyne is the most important player in that team at the moment. And as that important player, one of the most, one of the, probably the best midfielder on, in the world at the moment, maybe not in current form, but he can hold City to ransom to a certain extent, Niall. He's their best player, Jim. So just, I mean, I don't know what it is with Manchester City in contract negotiations, but it seems to happen a lot. And then players eventually end up putting terms on a new deal. But, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is Manchester City's best player. When he's on form and he's on his day, I mean, people will say what they want about Aguero and him being the greatest City player of all time. And they've definitely got a point there. He's their greatest goal scorer of all time. But I think if you're talking about a player you'd want to make a difference in your side on the top of their game, at the moment, I'm picking Kevin De Bruyne every day of the week. He's their best player. And, you know, give him what he wants. Just give him what mm. he wants. You know, a five-year deal is a long deal, but that means that City can get good cash for him if someone comes in and they want him. So uh, I just think that what is it Manchester City are trying to achieve out of taking time over the contract? Just get it done swiftly. If it, what, it, it's not like they're strapped for cash, is it? <laughs> uh, well, I guess I guess not. I mean, th- I mean, people will say about how Manchester City are money bags and stuff like that. But, you know, all businesses with this coronavirus pandemic will need to start thinking about their books and their finances. I mean, the end of year accounts are going to be grim with this latest lockdown. I think that we won't see fans back in grounds this season. I think that'll be it now. Um, If you think about March, when the lockdown's supposed to be lifted, the season's supposed to end the first week in May. So, I mean, that's only 10 games, and I can't see fans being allowed back in to the stadiums for the last 10 games or eight games of the season. So I think that's it now for fans in grounds, and I think that will impact clubs' finances. And Manchester City, despite the amount of money they've got and despite the bank rolling that they have, uh, it's going to affect them too. However, you know, your best assets in a football club are your players. And, you know, you want to tie down your best assets as best as you can. You know, give Kevin De Bruyne an extra 30, 40 grand a week, whatever it might be, because he's earned it and he's their best Mm. player. And that's what you do. That's what you do to keep hold of your best assets. You have to pull out the checkbook. And I'm surprised that Manchester City uh, have taken so long to sort something out because Kevin De Bruyne, by all accounts has seemed to be quite keen to get this sorted as quick as possible. So, yeah, interesting one. I don't think it will amount to too much. I think he will stay. I just wonder why it's taken them so long. 
2023, the summer, is his current deal expiry date. So there's not a massive amount of urgency in terms of getting that deal done. Another bit of transfer talk from Sky in Italy concerning the future of Christian Eriksen. Obviously moved over to Inter Milan from Tottenham. It's not really gone to plan for Eriksen in Italy. And he's being touted with connections to a few clubs. Ajax is one potential move, but also Wolves, (laughs) apparently, in the race for Eriksen. I mean, this is a player we know that can perform in the... Premier League, Stefan. He'd no doubt fit into a Wolves team. He's not Portuguese, which is a bit of a blow, I guess. But I can, you can see him coming back to the Premier League as a low-risk option for someone, albeit a fairly expensive one. I've got a feeling that it's a slow news day in Sky Italy. Like, what's going on with all these transfer rumours? What's what's happening? This feels like this feels like chat manager, but on like a 0506 database, you know, where they've only got limited things to say. This is mad. Nah, Christian Eriksen won't go to Wolves. He'll, I think the one that makes perfect sense is him going to PSG, uh, where Pochettino has, has just been mm. uh, hired as manager. Uh, strange that it's not worked out for him in Italy. It, obviously, something's happened to him in Conte. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've not watched Serie A uh, closely since uh, the days of uh, Football Italia on Channel 4. So, yeah, I mean, for me, Christian Vieri still plays <laughs> up front for, for Inter Milan. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what's gone on there, but obviously, he's, he's a quality player. He was, what, two seasons ago? Oh, I think confident in saying that he was the best player at Tottenham, uh, one of the best players in the Premier League. So, of course, you'd come back and do a good job at a place like Wolves. Mm. But I think, no offence to Wolves, I think that's a bit below him. I think he'll be playing Champions League football um, with a decent side come January. Uh, if not January, then definitely at the start of next season. There is a certain whiff of column inches being filled about a few of these rumours. But one that does make a little bit of sense is coming from Football London. And it's concerning a move for Arsenal for... Emi Buendea, who is the 24-year-old Norwich midfielder, it describes it as in the story I read. I thought he was more of a winger. A real quality player, potentially the best player left in Norwich's team after Cantwell went off the boil a little bit in this championship season. Is it the type of player that would strengthen Arsenal? It, it, I mean, if he is an attacking midfield sort of wide player, it seems an area that Arsenal have a fair few decent outlets in. I think that he's a really good player and I think that I'm surprised actually that it's taken so long for teams to be linked with him because I think last season along with uh, Pukki who did come off the boil a little bit and Todd Campwell and, and Aaron's I think as well Godfrey another one those were the kind of four or five standout players from that Norwich side that did finish bottom of the Premier League I mean Buendi is a very very good player um, and you know Norwich have seen the fruits of his labour um, over the last few seasons and you know he's playing well in the championship this year I think Todd Cantwell's doing well this year and I think there's interest you know in Todd Cantwell as well um, but Norwich are quite keen to hike the price up I think for both of these players because they are so important to them and you know it's a difficult period as I've already outlined with with the pandemic and stuff like that and you sort of highlighted it at the start of the podcast Jim that clubs are kind of a bit strapped for cash at this moment in time um, we said that in the summer that we might see a very lackluster transfer window and it ended up being a bit of a blockbuster um we nearly even had Messi in the Mm. Premier League I don't think that will happen this time January always tends to be quieter but um but yeah Buendia I mean could he improve Arsenal yes I think he could um I think he's a better player than some of the midfielders that they've got Uh, and I, I think it comes down to as simple as that 
whether Norwich should be keen to let him go for a modest fee is another question. Um, I think that's what will really be interesting to see this January transfer window is whether clubs hold on to players and really hike the price up and set a really high fee for them or whether they are so desperate for the cash that they're willing to strike out a deal for perhaps a bit of a bargain. I think it could go one of two ways, not specifically with the Buendia situation, I just mean in general across the landscape of the transfer window, whether we'll see no one moving anywhere because everyone's priced out of deals, or whether we'll see lots of movement because people are so desperate to kind of get a bit of cash flow in. Mm. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? Um, But Buendia, could he improve Arsenal? I think he could. Yeah, I think he's a very good player. One of the interesting parts of that story is Arsenal reportedly willing to let either Joe Willock or Reese Nelson go the other way as well, which I think will be disappointing to some Arsenal fans who have high hopes for both those talents. One final story concerns my team, West Ham. Apparently, they've opted against signing or re-signing Marko Anatovic, who went out to play in China a couple of seasons ago, now 31. And I've got to say, I'm relieved He's not coming back. For, for me, I'm interested in your view on this because undoubtedly a talented player. He played his best football for us under David Moyes, who's obviously now back managing the club. But the way he left, the circumstances surrounding his exit from West Ham means for me, he's not welcome back at the football club. I don't know if either of you guys have players that have left your teams in inauspicious circumstances that you would kind of like go, right, that's it, bridge is burnt, you're not coming back, or whether it's a case of if the player's good enough, they can kind of re-earn that respect. Mm, I've not got an issue with players leaving and coming back if if it's still decent, if they can still do a job. I think... But what about in Marko Anatovic's cases like that where he's pretty much down-tooled and tried to force a move? I mean, same thing happened to us at Pompey when we had Jermaine Defoe. Um, Redknapp left to go to Tottenham and Defoe basically I don't want to speak out of turn here but there were rumours let's just say at Portsmouth that Jermaine Defoe wasn't keen to carry on playing faked an injury in order not to play deliberately missed a penalty some Mm. people even say I'm not sure how true that is Um, but these are all just kind of gossip gossip that's been thrown around about Jermaine Defoe eventually he did manage to get his move back to Tottenham under Harry Redknapp so would Jermaine Defoe be welcome back at Portsmouth because of that? No he wouldn't. And I think that the only time you ever see that is when players do that sort of thing or um, when they go and join a rival club. For instance, if Arnautovic joined Millwall and then came back to West Ham, I don't think he'd be welcome back with a hero's reception. Um, but I also think I'd love that to see Arnautovic would... joining Millwall. That would make funny, my day. But, um, Worse than you know, China. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. But I mean, you know what it is? West Ham are in a good spot at the moment. And would Arnautovic coming back in, would, would that ruin it? You know, West Ham mm, seem yeah, to have got this. 100%. They've got this bubble at the moment. They've got this good thing going on, Steph, haven't they? So I don't know whether someone coming yeah. in who's got an ego like Onortovic could upset the apple cart a bit. It's just going back two years for me. West Ham two years ago were my absolute favourites for relegation. I mean, they still kind of are, but like, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> like, like it, it's just it's just such a backward step for for West Ham to take. But that's why I think again, it's 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 a bit of a. It's a bit of a far-fetched rumour. Uh, but Arnautovic, he's, he's a strange case because I liked his confidence, I liked his swagger, and he commanded a certain presence on the football pitch. But mm. I think he'll be remembered in time as being a bit of a budget burp off. 
you, you don't want a budget Berbatov at your team, so no. I'd love that. I'm using that. I'm having that. Cheers, Steph. Uh, right, that is it for today's podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. More transfer rumours. We'll be looking back at Tottenham's win or loss against Brentford from tonight and also previewing tomorrow night's Manchester derby in the Carabao Cup semi-final, the second Carabao Cup semi-final. Niall, Steph, thank you very much for today. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Jim. I'm off to uh, go email my contact at Sky Italy, so you've got something to talk about tomorrow. (laughs) Get on it. You can find more news, sports-social.co.uk, and we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.